So Money episode 794, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Lydia Benham. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome, October 12th, 2018. I have a big weekend ahead, uh, mainly because um, I'm going to be nervous about the Monday coming up. <laughs> um, Monday the 15th and Tuesday the 16th, I will be hosting my, at this point, semi-annual. It's happening twice a year now, and I can't believe it. It's called Book to Brand, my workshop that helps people who are thought leaders and experts and entrepreneurs learn the ins and outs of publishing a book mostly traditional publishing, but we have been getting lately into the art and strategy of self-publishing. But it's uh, one of my passions that I've been profiting from, I guess, you know, and something that I've actually learned from guests on this podcast, guests who've come on and have taught me how to make money from what I know and not just from what I do. And um, having spent 15 years working as a content producer and book writer, I've learned a few things about the process of book writing. And I've been um, called upon a lot of times by friends and colleagues to shed light on how to publish a book and how to find a literary agent and how to pitch a book to a publication and et cetera, et cetera, how to leverage a book, you know, right, to become a speaker or a brand partner. And so I find that I actually know more than I estimated, and it has now blossomed into this amazing two-day workshop, and we're excited to uh, bring everybody together. But, you know, the days ahead of that, I'm always nervous. I'm always like, did I forget something? Did I order enough food? Are the guests going to show up? And it always works out, but it's sort of like putting on, putting a wedding together there's a lot of moving parts not as high stakes as the wedding but you know what I mean and so anyway that's just what's happening on my front I love October it's kind of my one of my favorite months of the year so we got Halloween there's a lot of uh, just the weather is so crisp there's apple picking fall foliage I'm a New England girl so it's very um, nostalgic for me the fall because I feel like New Englanders really claim fall it's like our season and it's just a, a great time to be so uh, anyway all this to say I'm happy it's Friday excited to bring on a listener of so money to co-host with me because that's what I've been asking for people to um, sign up for and listeners have been gracious and studious and have been saying hey and raising their hands and saying hey I'll co-host and today's guest is very special she is a uh, obviously an obsessed person about money and finance but no, not just sort of leisurely she's really in it to win it here she is in the fintech blockchain space in her career and has recently merged her business with a larger software partner in San Francisco. So she's entrepreneurial. She's into blockchain, which, you know, we've had a few episodes on so many that have covered Bitcoin and blockchain. And it's such a fascinating, growing, fast growing industry and sector that I feel really privileged to have Lydia Benham on our show today. Lydia, thank you for patiently listening to my rant about book to brand and my adoration for October, but really excited to connect with you finally as we've been communicating mostly over email and you've been listening to the show for a while. So it's so great to finally hear your voice. 
Well, thank you. It's um, great to be here, and I'm excited to help you co-host and um, just saying hello to all the Farnoosh fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> Farnoosh fans, the So Money Nation, as we right. were coining yeah, ourselves. <laughs> so tell me, Lydia, all about the blockchain and what drew you to this particular area of finance and and should we all care about this i mean you're obviously invested in this but really is this going to go mainstream um i think it is mainstream um it's not going away it's definitely here it's been here um it's it's just it's a little bit of the wild west still um uh so we i've been kind of in the space for almost a year and a half now um and kind of just tiptoed into it a little bit it was a new um thing that alco was doing and i was given the opportunity to kind of um come on board and help them and so um it was definitely a crash course at first for me um i think the fintech space has always been like where i wanted to be um and so it, it just kind of aligned really perfectly actually um for me but yeah, it's it's here. It's not going away. Um, it's still really volatile. Um, but you know, it's like you talk to people that work in the financial sector anyway, and and you know, it, it, we're just as volatile as as a stock, right? Um, you know, you have institutional um, money that really changes the stock prices. Well, you know, you have developers and um, online happenings that really cause the blockchains to be volatile too. So it's it's just kind of right now what my perspective on this is that a lot of people don't understand what's going on. Um, it is a little bit different. Um, there's, there's all kinds of things going on. Um, like we were just reading about the Ethereum forking that's happening. So you, you have coins that will split, um, and then you produce a new coin and then it causes volatility to the original coin. (laughs) So there's, um, multiple different layers and different things that are happening. And, and I will say it definitely takes quite a bit of time and digging. Um, and it is a different vocabulary. So um, you're not coming, anyone can come into the space. You don't necessarily have to come from the financial background. Um, I will say most of the people that are driving prices right now would be in the software development space. Um, and it is, it's, it is here. It's, coming and it's changing. Um, you do have, it's open source. Um, it's available. A lot of people are able to add to projects. Um, most of them are, are stored on GitHub and, um, people connect that way and it's, it's, it's available and a lot of people are chiming in on it. Um, it's definitely, I would say true crowdsourced funding. Do you think it's going to be rebranded? We're calling it cryptocurrency, which that name <laughs> in and of itself sounds extremely like mystified and and um, like this is not for me or there's something sneaky going on. I yeah, like that's no. part of the barrier. It's not right, and people think well, of dark web. Yeah, and all kinds. Like, of I'm not things. getting into that. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I can't even find a savings account, let alone get into Bitcoin and crypto. Like, please. Right. And it, and it is. So, I mean, we're early stages, right? So, um, you know, it, it is it is def- a little bit dif- difficult to even invest in it. There's a few hurdles there. So you need to be dedicated. Um, so Bitcoin's kind of your mainstream and all the other coins are called altcoins, essentially. Um, and for some of those, it's a little bit harder. So essentially, you're it, you're exchanging fiat. Fiat is basically like um, your country's currency. So ours is USD. 
Um, so you'll have to use one service right now to um, even exchange USD into uh, cryptocurrency, and then you'll have to use another service if it's altcoins. So basically, right now you have to change to Bitcoin and then buy altcoins, and it's muddled, and you have to store wallets. And wallets, that's a whole security issue because some people, um, you know, if it's it's as secure as you keep your computer or an external hard drive. Um, we have some people. We actually had a client come through that they were um, pushing cold storage, which is you know, you hear these stories about people like in Russia and they're literally storing their coins on an external hard drive and then burying them in their backyard. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's really comical, the stories that are coming out of the space right now. But, um, there, there's, it, it is, it, it, there's a few barriers to entry. So, um, I, it is mainstream in the sense that it's, it was wildly popular. We saw earlier this year, um, how, how much Bitcoin raised and then it dropped, um, you know, and it made all of the, the financial news media. So you do have a lot of people that are following it. Um, the dot, it is a little bit of a deeper dive, um, mm -hmm. So it, it, it requires a little bit of time, but that's why I was saying, you know, you don't necessarily need to be in the financial space to learn about this, which I think is kind of cool because I do feel like, you know, the, the financial terminology it is, I, I feel like it's kind of like a club and people try to keep people out of it. <laughs> and, and so I do like, I like this approach, how it's open source and it's available. Yes, it's the, uh, you know, I guess democratizing uh, sure, the absolutely. financial services or financial system. No, it is. And it's it's unregulated right mm -hmm. now. I know SEC, they're pushing through some regulations and, and we're, we're constantly watch, watching that because it affects us and our clients. Um, and there's still a long way to go on that. I think that they've got some task force on that. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, right now, um, U.S. investors, you're, you're not allowed to be investing in a lot of the alternative ICO coins. Um, so mm -hmm. a lot of the clients we do see are, are out of country, um, and then they will set up shop out of country right now. So it's, it's really, it's a global happening. Um, it's not just stateside. And we do see a lot of the investment money coming, I would say, from the Eastern Asia areas. And um, Russia is a big player in this space as well. So Lydia, what's the easiest, simplest way for all of us to get on this train and not maybe bet the house on it, but if we have an extra, say, $500, $1,000, which for a lot of us is you know, a lot of money still, but you know, I don't think that with less than that, you can really substantially get in. So if you do have that much to commit to crypto, and you want to do it, and you understand, you know, the caveats, this is unregulated, it's still figuring itself out, you could lose this money, it's an alternative investment for, for now. What how do we do it? What do you recommend? Well, it's you're, I, I would agree you're right. It's speculative. But um, I do come from the standpoint that any investment you do is speculative, right? Um, so, uh, you know, there's something when you're investing in the stock market because it is an age-old system that we do trust it. But, you know, for example, I've been watching my lending club die. 
<laughs> so it's kind of, you know, I it, it is all speculative and, and I would definitely, any percentage, like you said, a $500 amount or a thousand dollar amount, um, I would assume that you're going to lose it all. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're going to put into it, I would use it as a test. I would also use it as this is you paying for your education of learning and getting into this space. Um, and you're right. Unfortunately, you know, Bitcoin, I'm looking at it right now. It's at 6,323. Mm. You're probably only going to own a percentage of that. Um, but you can kind of work with whatever exchange platform you're going to use and, um, you might convert it into a a different altcoin that is a little bit lower for right now. Um, they're all pretty volatile. They're moving up and down. It's constant. You know, we have watch it in the morning and then later in the afternoon we've, we've skyrocketed. It's, it's just nuts. But, um, like I said, that's why if you're going to jump into the space and, and I would advise to just because this is not going anywhere, we don't necessarily know which coin is going to be the mainstream right now. Bitcoin definitely takes a public eye. Um, Neo is right behind it with Ethereum. Um, so there's a couple different ways uh, that you could dive in, but I, yeah, absolutely speculative investment. Don't invest money that you're going to need. Cool. Good advice. All right. Let's move on to the questions from our fellow listeners. These questions, a lot of them came in through Instagram. And the first is from a young woman on Instagram. She's 22 and she has a bachelor's degree in health sciences. And she says she's going to go back to school for dental hygiene plan is to go back to school in May of 2019, which is next spring, and it is an accelerated 18-month program. She's currently, this is her, she's saying she's working her butt off full-time to save money to help pay for school and rent and food. This is a little bit of a twist, though. The school recently reached out to her and said there's a potential for her to start in December of this year as opposed to May of next year. And if she starts in December, she will have much less money saved up than anticipated and will likely have to take a larger loan to help pay. But it would mean graduating sooner and maybe making more money quicker post-graduation. So please shed some light on the situation. Part of me says... Just wait until May, Lydia. I think there are pros and cons to both of this. Yeah, I would, I would. I would make a tea table. I'd make a pro con. Right. You know. Yep. I'm in the exact same boat. <laughs> um. But here's the thing. Like, so it's an 18 month program. She'll start in May, which means this will have her graduating, assuming she's going to go 18 months straight, including summers. Uh, it would be that she would graduate like around fall winter of 2020 which I think is not a bad time to be job hunting. That's usually when a lot of companies historically look for hires for starting in, say, the new year or immediately. I've, I've, every job I've, I've applied for, I've gotten in the fall. It's kind of like that back to school. Companies are expecting a lot of new applicants entering into the job market because of college graduation and other kinds of graduation. So it may actually be to her benefit to keep the schedule as is in terms of her of sort of uh, – applicability to the job market um i mean maybe there'll be more competition too but i think like a lot of companies are in the hiring mode uh come fall winter so there's that pro the other pro i think is too like she says she'll have more time to save and taking on less of a loan it's already an accelerated program so you know whether she starts in december or may it's six months in the grand scheme of life 
But it could mean a lot more money that she has to go into debt for to pay for this program. So I kind of feel like stay the course. I would also um, probably second that, even though I do think that there's probably pros and cons for both decisions here. Um, but I, I think that you already have your strategy in place. Um, I think that, you know, an opportunity arose, but I don't think that I would diverge from your course. Um, and maybe, you know, some calculations on extra interest of a larger loan will maybe prove that as well. Um, cause that's worth, running those numbers too. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's funny. I think sometimes in life it's hard for us just to wait and uh, you get antsy, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's her goal is jumping in and and finishing that and getting her degree. Um, but I think that this might possibly be one of those times where it might be better just to wait and, um, keep bringing in some revenue for now before you start Yes. And I, I think if there is a chance to maybe go back to the school and say, this is interesting, I'd, I'd love to explore maybe the more of the benefits to starting early. Could you sweeten the pot and give me a scholarship or a grant or lower the tuition somehow? Because that's obviously going to mean more money for me if I have to start early as far as like I don't have enough savings to start this early and see what they say if I know some schools have these different starting points for their programs and there's usually one um, there's usually one starting point that's more popular I think for me like going to graduate school for journalism there was a program that started in August and then there was a part-time program that started a little bit after that and I mean, sometimes schools put more of their resources, too, towards the fuller, more uh, kind of like traditional path of like, let's say, starting in May. Maybe that's what the school puts more of their resources towards, that 18-month program that starts in May. And then they reserve, you know, the same but maybe a little bit less resources for the program that starts at this uh, this sort of off point, this this December start or like another start, um, it's a way for the school to include more more students in the program in totality. But sometimes there's like there's that one school academic program year that is more that is fuller, and therefore they have more resources for it. So that's something else to look into. Like if I start in December, am I kind of the B? Ta- am I on the B team, <laughs> like the B path? <laughs> And um, I know in, in a lot of schools where there, is, there are alternative start dates, it's not always uh, apples to apples in terms of resources and professor availability and, and, and things like that. So things to think about. Yeah, I think those are all very valid points. Um, and I I think that you might have something to negotiate here with them. Um, and I don't know if I, I, I don't know about this um, exact degree, but um, I wonder if there's some kind of pre-online course or something that might be available beforehand. Mm. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, if there's a way to get some credits and so then you can do that Early. online and you wouldn't have to move or pay as much in tuition and housing and all of that, that's a really smart way to get ahead as you begin in May. Um, And that way, maybe you could graduate, like you said earlier, and get ahead, um, start on the job search. All right, good stuff. Sandy on Instagram has a question about 
Uh, well, let's just read it and well, it's a few things. Um, so she recently resigned from her job, Lydia, and she has a couple of weeks left before her last day. She has started a commercial residential cleaning company. She's a mom of three, and she does have childcare for her children, but was wondering, should she use her 401k to fund the startup? She would like to develop an app for the company and target young working classes, working class uh, families. The kids, she has uh, three kids. They're five, two years, and two months. She really needs more flexibility to to do the startup, but uh, she's concerned about, you know, the schedule with the kids and everything. Um, She's also married, so her husband will handle, she says, the household expenses. So it sounds like she needs seed capital for this for this uh, idea. And um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Lydia, on this as far as just like, you know, as a woman in, in as an entrepreneur with a startup, um, right? how do you get that startup capital? I mean, ideally, I like that she wants to have her own skin in the game. That's, mm-hmm. that's great. Uh, but it's valuable. I, it's valuable, but, but you cashing out a 401k, I'm not sure right. if that is, I feel like that's yeah. to her detriment in some ways. Um, so I would have to say, um, I think my perspective has shifted on this a little bit more. Um, I recently um, had a baby, so I have a one-year-old now. Um, so I think it, um, security is very important, um, especially for a kid. I haven't used my funds before and made risks, but that was also before kids. Um, and I know that might be um, sappy, but it is what it is. I just think the security is is important for her. Um, I've also fundraised for projects too, um, from, uh, angel investors. So that's always a route that I will say is a job in and of itself. Um, but that was for a large scale project. Um, I would not advise cashing out the 401k. Um, personally, I would probably look at what it is you're wanting to do, um, with, your because you referenced the mobile app um so there's a lot of ways that you can have web mobile functionality with websites that um are it's kind of pretty much like being in an app ecosystem the only thing is that you're not native um and i think that a lot of those options are cost effective i always advocate getting proof of concept on any of those products before you pummel a lot of cash into them. Um, and I think that that's just kind of a good strategy. Um, you do see a lot that some technology just doesn't get used by your customers. So there's not any point in, you know, going full throttle and creating this big platform that you're not going to necessarily get use out of, um, before you actually tested the market on that. Um, there's a couple options like square pay, Squarespace, um, WordPress has their at presser product and then Weebly, um, pretty user friendly subscription base. It's a month to month. Um, I think that you could possibly swing that from revenue you're generating from the business without tapping into any resources. Um, and a lot of those, I don't know if it, in how integrated into your business functionality it will go to, but a lot of those will include payment cart integration, um, like with Stripe and there's a lot of options there. I don't know if you're paying some subcontractors or if it's just you doing the work for the, um, cleaning company, but there, there's a lot of options available in those software products already. Um, yeah, I just, I 
I would not touch it just because compound interest is your friend on that too. Um, I would make sure that I, if you do have the 401k, it looks like from this job, um, uh, I might see kind of look at it and see what you're invested in. Um, sometimes, uh, companies, they only have a small selection of mutual funds they're allowed to select from for their employees. Um, and the way that mutual funds work is that they actually uh, have a finite runway. So when they're sold, um, that may have been the year when they were actually profitable and running maybe your eight to 12% um, margin area, but they may not for the future. So I would probably go back and adjust that and look at that as well since you're leaving that job. Amen. I would also just remind um, our reader here, Sandy, that you know the number that you're seeing in your 401k is not going to be the number that you will end up with if you cash out. Because yes. assume <laughs> you know, you might see like, oh, this really big number, but the problem with cashing out early before 59 and a half is that your total is subject to income tax and a 10% early withdrawal penalty. So you know, depending on your tax bracket, that could effectively diminish yeah, that total by you know 40%, 50%. And so you may be underwhelmed, as, is what I'm trying to say, with that ultimate pittance of a number after you know all of those deductions for withdrawing early and the tax implications. And so, yeah, I think you know I, I love that you are thinking along the lines of having an app. I think that in your business plan, that should definitely be within the first five years. That could definitely be something that your business could benefit from and your users could benefit from. But I think to to sort of think about it in year one and then trying to come up with the money for it can be really overwhelming and not even as you know Lydia said the best strategy because you've yet to really understand your user and what they need and I use a lot of services that have mobile friendly websites and aren't uh, necessarily creating native apps uh, for the experience and and for me you know it's it's fine as long as I can you know, make out on that site and see what they're, you know, book, a, I've booked appointments and it's been fine. You know, it's a little bit more thumb work, but it works fine. And I'm sure that business is saving a ton <laughs> by not creating this app yet. But I love Weebly. I love Squarespace. I love WordPress, you know, finding someone who um, can create a user-friendly website for you that is also mobile friendly, I think is a great first step. And if your husband is currently working, that's awesome because that that takes a lot of pressure off of you for having to be necessarily profitable in the first year. But go get it, Sandy. I'm excited for you. And let me know how things work out. Yeah, congratulations. And congrats, Lydia, on becoming a mom. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I always want to stop mothers now who have careers and have children and ask them their number one tip for affording it all. Forget having it all, you know, doing it all. Like, how are you affording it all? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I, so um, I, I think, you know, it's just everyone's situation is different. Um, I will say that I have an amazing husband who um, definitely helps a lot um, financially and physically. And he is a committed dad. So <laughs> it makes a difference as far as um, time allowance. I think time was figuring out time is still, I think, a struggle <laughs> in scheduling and things like that. Um, and, and we have help, so that, that makes a big difference. But um, 
Yeah, it's, it's, I think there's just a lot of variables in the first year, I'll be honest. I'm still trying to work through them all. I, I don't by any means have this all figured out. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's moving in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you for, forward, right? It's moving forward, right. I know. Thank you for that. I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard. It's not, no, I'm not, you know, it's it may seem easy, but it's not. And everyone's behind the scenes is very different. And I'm always, mm-hmm. um, I think it's important for moms to share because, uh, and to share their, their wins and the failures because some days are just going to be terrible. Um, but, it, but it nets out pretty positively, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely does. When I mean, you're working and you have kids, yeah, to have the money is... Is helpful. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I mean, I, I like what I do. Um, and I think it's, it's fun to be able to, um, enjoy the time when I'm not with her. Um, because otherwise I think it, it kind of feels a little bit more, um, it's, it's a little more taxing emotionally for sure. Um, so I think that that's good. And, and, and I also, I mean, I, I've had very good female role models in my family. Um, and I kind of like, being in that position for her as well as a female. Um, I know there's lots of conversations right now as, as far as, you know, raising women and raising confident, smart, um, you know, self-assured females. And, and I do truly believe that, you know, they, what they're seeing is what they're going to duplicate. Um, as much as we want to preach, you know, it's, it, I do think that if I, I want to live what I would want for her, um, and, and, you know, I think we can also get caught up in trying to be these bigger than life characters for our children too. So mm. <laughs> trying not to let that take over as well. I um, I wrote down when you said it, like what you do. <laughs> it seems like a simple thing, but it's so important to figure out what your passion is and to be sure that you're on that path to doing, if you're not doing what you love, hundred percent, but you're like 80% there. You're like warming up to it because when you have kids, it's, I think a lot harder to then justify the work that you're doing, especially if you feel underpaid and then you don't even like the work to say, it's it. I'm, I'm not going to continue my, with my career and feel like you have been without really an option, been um, forced into full-time parenthood and some moms do that willingly and they that's their first choice but I'm seeing a lot of working women upon having that first child feeling like they don't really have the option to stay at work because for a lot of reasons money flexibility time happiness and so like you know what I think I'm gonna stay home and it's not what I thought I'd be doing but here I am and I want to be able to um, remind women that it is their choice, but they have to be very strategic about the way that they design their life and go after their pursuits before, during, and after having kids. Right. And I think something, you know, um, I am kind of probably a serial overcommitter. Um, and I think this year I've also learned to um, say no to extra things, <laughs> yeah. which has been hard, but um, absolutely necessary. And I think that I'm lucky in the fact that um, what I do, I mean, it's flexible. I did make some large changes um, right after she was born as far as um, joining All Code um, and, and took a, a little bit of the responsibility off of my back so I could have a little more flexibility. Um, and I wouldn't change that decision forever for anything really. It's, it's allowed me to, to basically have a flexible schedule. Um, and it was flexible before, but you know, when it's like, 
the client is your boss, the client is your boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's, it's funny. I, I don't know, you know, I, I know there's conversations like, you know, what's harder having a boss or the, you know, being your own boss. And I, I don't know if people fully understand that the client basically owns you. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. so it's, it's kind of, yeah. And, and they don't understand work hours either. I've noticed. So, um, that's, that's a whole different boundary issue. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I do think that it's, it, it is interesting. I think that, you know, the, um, the rite of passage into motherhood does make you look at things and assess things. And, um, even if there are some things that maybe we were doing and we were like, uh, it's okay for now. I think the, the, the strain on time and emotions and where you want to be, it really separates out. Okay. This is not, I don't need to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, versus, you know, it shines light on where you need to be and what you need to be doing. Um, I, I, it's, I kind of wish I would have gotten that a couple years ago (laughs) to Mm -hmm. be honest. Um, but I'm glad that I have it now, but I, I do think, um, you know, it's, it's worth, really sitting down and, and making the best decision for you holistically and, and what that looks like on a whole. Um, cause I think like, like the 401k, I would absolutely consider security now. And that's just because my life is different. Right. Right. It's good. It's good perspective that you get once you become a mom. I think that, um, some things become, uh, sort of these, like, what do you call it? Uh, non-negotiables. Things oh, that yes. were not things that were negotiable pre kids right. are now non negotiables. Right. Yes, they are big non negotiables. <laughs> mm-hmm. We derailed a bit, but I'm. I think this uh, was very uh, helpful for a lot of people listening, myself included. Um, we have a question from. We're going to probably have time for two more questions before we wrap up here. So, um, also from Instagram, Yo Yo Ma Seventeen has some extra income and wants to know where to put it into a new house. Should I invest it, she asks, save for retirement, save for kids' college? I feel like this is just a matter of priorities. Uh, the good news is, is you have the extra income. The The challenge is, but really it's an opportunity, is to kind of figure out what is your most, your, your next biggest goal to achieve. And that, I think, is where you allocate those resources. And in some cases, it's, a, it's also a matter of if it is something like, if you're if you're behind on retirement, I would say that may need some of your attention before buying the house, um, before kids college. I mean, in some cases, some of this stuff is just generally good prioritization. I would say if your retirement is lacking, that would be a good first place to explore putting extra money, whether that's into your 401k or an IRA. Uh, a lot of parents, I think, uh, myself included, the inclination is to put more money towards college and education, but that's because we're emotional and we love our kids, but it's not actually the smartest choice. Um, this isn't just me speaking. It's a lot of financial advisors. Like You have to put your own oxygen mask on first. Have retirement savings. Figure it out. And then if you've, once that's rocking and rolling and you're automatically contributing to retirement and you're on track, then look into something like a 529 or a college savings plan. And I think after that, you can look into purchasing a home and some alternative investments. Uh, but, you know, I think that if Yo-Yo Ma already has the retirement, already has a kid's college account, then maybe at that point it is the house. It is, it is investing. What do you think? 
Um, well, so just to touch on the house, um, yes. the home you live in should never be considered an investment vehicle for you. Um, it does add to your net worth, but I would not consider that an investment property um, because you, you have emotional attachment to it and you you actually need the shelter. Right. <laughs> um, um, I think you're right. It's priorities here. Um, and I love that you mentioned the oxygen mask. I had not thought about that as far as the kids college fund. I know they have uh, the 529, but, um, I, my husband and I, we did look at that a little bit. Um, but I think that for, for kids college, honestly, I would just put it in an investment fund. I would just run it in one account, um, that you're managing and, 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 or if you have, um, uh, an advisor that's managing it, um, because there's nothing to keep you from pulling from it um, for your children, children's college where they do come of age. Um, you're you're leveraging compound interest at that point. Um, you could also uh, actively seek out dividend stock options in there, um, and then you can you can also set up um, drip uh, dividend reinvestment plans. Um, there's fees, some minimal fees attached to that. There's not if it's in your Roth IRA, but, um, all of those I think are good strategies to invest. I'm a heavy investor. Um, so <laughs> I always recommend that. Um, and I don't know what, what your age is, but if you're anywhere in the twenties, I mean, you have, you have nothing but time on your hands to grow your income. So that's, I would advocate for investing. If you are interested in a 529, which I have for both of my kids, and I know that you, Lydia, expressed more interest in just a plain investment account for probably for a lot of reasons, like more flexibility if your kids don't go to college, but um, and maybe more op- more access to different kinds of investments. CollegeSavings.org is a great resource for learning more about 529 plans. In New York State, where we live, there are additional benefits for residents here who have a 529 plan tax benefits. And so if you are in a state where that may be also the case for you, another perk to having a 529. But yeah, they're not as flexible. They're not as open-ended as just a you know investment account that you open up on a robo-advisory or you walk into a bank and you do it. But a lot of parents uh, love, the, including myself, we like the 529. We hope that our kids will go to college. We That's the plan. Um, I know that college ambitions are changing and the college scene is changing, but, um, um, my kids going to college, <laughs> that is happening. Am, am uh, I wrong that I read somewhere that it can actually, it's the terminology and the way that that account works. You can use it for education. You can purposes, now, so right. So it's changed okay. recently. Okay. So that's, yes. And I was going to bring that up, but, um, but I forgot. Yes. Yeah, so if you have a child, who's going to school at a private school or a school that, or it just, you need money for their education. And it's a, it's a, you know, you have to check the IRS for the actual definition of what qualifies, but now you can actually use the 529 for educational purposes before college. So that's great. But I would hope that it's something that you use as a long-term savings vehicle. Um, and uh, if you need more immediate reserves for, school in kindergarten or first or second grade that that's coming out of a different bucket Um, because the benefit of a 529 is that it is invested relatively aggressively for like the next 15 years if you start early Um, so you just have to adjust your investments to make sure you're not super risked 
risk you're not taking on super a lot of risk for a, you know a kindergarten <laughs> account but yes that is good it's better than you know just having it for college i suppose yeah no and i just just as optionality um yeah. for that account all right, and last but not least, a quickie comment from Laura um, who wrote in to Ask Farnoosh on the So Money podcast website. She says I, she's a newly graduated physician and um, working on balancing her financial priorities and wondering uh, if there are any people out there that she can learn from f- uh, with regards to how to invest as a young physician. And lucky you, Laura. Um, so early in September, back in September, I had on a great guest uh, named Dr. Paul, sorry, Dr. Peter Kim. I'm going to just grab that episode number for you. It's episode number 786. So Peter Kim is an anesthesiologist who simultaneous to pursuing his physician career, like you, was kind of like, I don't know what to do with my money and I have all sorts of student loan debt and I just, you know, um, I have to uh, kind of find alternative ways to do this. And so he started to invest in real estate and really started to love it. Didn't know anything about it when he first started, which is the good news. Got really good at it, started blogging about it anonymously at first under Passive Income MD and only recently became public with his identity and um, is still straddling both worlds as a physician and now as like this blogger, real estate investor. And he talks all about how he does it on his blog. And I would really recommend that as a resource. And Lydia, you have an extra tip for this person as well. Um, yes, thank you. I, so I just wanted to say, because I, I had read a bunch about this, but um, I do know that physicians historically, um, they're some of the highest earners, but they tend to have the lowest net worth. Um, I think that just yes. being in that um, that profession, you fall into kind of keeping up with the Joneses pressure a little bit. Um, so maybe just as a preemptive tactic, um, make a plan to invest a percentage right off um, just so uh, you're not kind of tempted and you have that plan in place and maybe put a reminder on your calendar to reassess that percentage based on your wages um, in two to three years and depending on how aggressive you want to be. Yes, having a plan is always something that we like we hear that and we're like, yeah, duh, but a lot of us fail to do it. We just go right for the spend. And uh, it's important to just think about where you want to be in the next, you know, five, 10 years. Lydia, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I feel really lucky to have you in the audience as a listener. Um, super smart, super ambitious, lots of great advice and best wishes to you in motherhood and your business and your finances and all of that in, and everything in between. Well, thank you for the time and I'm glad to help out with um, some of your listeners and um, really appreciate it. 